0: Jonah is unique in that um, it's it's not necessarily about his message so much. It's a story really about the prophet himself. Most of um, the the prophets in the scriptures, Isaiah, Ezekiel, uh, and so on, the the bulk of the content of the writing is really about their message, about what they say. But the story of Jonah is different because it's really about the messenger. It's about how he's a failed messenger. It's kind of... The story of a screw up, and um, honestly, we have a lot to learn from him because, as we'll see today, um, we relate a lot to Jonah. We have a lot in common with Jonah. Jonah's a story of a of the rescuing mercy of God, which we sung about. We've we've. We've praised God for his mercy today. It's the story of the rescuing mercy of God and the rebellious heart of a reluctant prophet. That's the story we're going to look at over the next several weeks. Uh, We're going to go chapter by chapter through this book. It's only four chapters, so I'm thinking we'll be here about a month. Okay, But I really want you to focus in. So during the week... Maybe shift your, your daily Bible reading and read through, meditate on these chapters as we read them and study them together. If you'll spend some time with it during the week, the Lord will really bless you. Two major themes of the book of Jonah. Jonah shows us two major things. So if you're taking notes, you might want to write these things down. Jonah shows us, number one, what sin is. It shows us what sin is. It gives us a a portrait, a very ugly portrait of what sin looks like. Jonah models it perfectly for us. We're going to talk a good bit about that today. And then the second thing Jonah shows us is who the Savior is. So we have what sin is and who the Savior is. All that's on display in this little bitty book. All right. You found your place there. Uh, I know you've probably just settled in, got comfortable, but we stand here in honor of the Lord's word. So would you stand with me As we read, we're going to read all of chapter one, um, because this will be our focus passage for the day. Jonah chapter one. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish, from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give us, give a thought to us that we may not perish. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us, Then they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. And he said to them, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea, that then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless... Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And here's the part of the story we all know so well. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Father, we need you today as we read the story of a man who hears your word and decisively disobeys. Can't help but look at your word today as a mirror of my own life. And all of us in this room, if we're honest, it's true. So Lord, as we see our own face in the life of Jonah, as we look into the mirror of the word, help us, God, to not be hearers only, but doers to not look at ourselves and walk away and forget what we've looked like. But rather, to see the truth of who we are, the glory of who Jesus is, to walk away changed by the gospel. This is our prayer. Holy Spirit, please let it be so. In Jesus' name, amen. It's the story of Jonah gives us a great portrait in lots of detail about the disobedience of a man who's supposed to be a prophet of God. This is the guy who's supposed to bring the message of God to the people. And the Lord comes to His messenger, a prophet, and says to him, I want you to go to Nineveh and I want you to say these things. I want you to say, give a message, call out against them. And the Lord explains why. He says, because they're evil... Has has come to my attention. The verse 3 starts this way. Having heard God's command. It starts with one little word. uh, But. But Jonah. What I want us to see today. Is that this is a story of a rebellious. A rebellious. Man. I want us to see what a rebellious heart looks like. So number one on on your notes there, a rebellious heart says no to God. It's very simple, right? It's, It's not decorated. There's no fancy way of putting it. It's just very simple. A rebellious heart says no to God. It's amazing when you read through this text and you just look at um, the sovereignty, the sovereign control of our God. When you read through the text, I mean, all the way through all four chapters, what you see is how in control God is. And yet God has a little bitty P of a man hear from him directly and look back at him and say, no. This great fish that swallows up Jonah was, the Bible says, appointed by the Lord to swim and swallow up a little man. God issued a command to a great fish, and the great fish didn't say no. He did what he was told. As you flip through and read through, you get to chapter uh, 4. In particular, and at the end of chapter 4 in Jonah's story, what we see is that the Lord um, commands a plant to grow out of the ground, and the plant does that. Then the Lord commands a worm to eat the plant, and the worm does that. And all through the book, what we see is that God is sovereignly in control of everything, even the man who rebelliously says, no. But a rebellious heart, just to summarize, says no To God. So as we we look at Jonah, our tendency sometimes is to look at him and, uh, and point at him and go, Man, that guy. And the truth is, we have a lot more in common with this brother than we like to admit. So many times the Lord says to us, Here's what I want you to do. And our rebellious heart maybe in some kind of roundabout way, but looks back at God Almighty and ultimately says, no. What I want us to see a, a few things about this disobedience just straight from the text here. Disobedience is a downward drift. Uh, if, if you write in your Bible like I do, I want you to see a couple of things. Look at verse 3. But Jonah rose to flee To Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. And look at just the way that um, the writer does such a beautiful job giving us these little details. The next phrase says, he went where? Which way? Down to Joppa. He found a ship going to Tarshish, so he paid the fare and he went, which way? Down into it. Look at verse 5. The guys are throwing cargo that was into the ship. They're throwing it into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had what? Gone which way? Down. And then ultimately, um, in verse 12, Jonah says to the men on board, he says, If, if you want the, the sea to calm down, pick me up, hurl me into the sea, then the sea will quiet down for you. I will, I, I'll sink down into the ocean. Here's the thing. Disobedience is a downward drift. It's a downward drift. What we need to know is there's no neutral. There's no coasting in relationship with God. You're, you're either walking with Him or you're walking away from Him. It's not a... There's no coasting. There's either hearing from Him and walking in obedience, or there's hearing from Him and pushing aside and going another way, which Jonah tells us is downward. And the, the crazy irony here, the way we live, is... Um, Small steps of disobedience lead, lead to major fallouts in disobedience. Can we agree with that? The small steps you take away from God will lead to a devastating pit in your life. A few weeks ago, I was talking with uh, one of the men in, in, in jail, our local jail. We were just talking about his situation and um, the nature of his crime. And this is what he said to me, and I thought about this again this week. He said, you know, I never would have thought I would have done that. Never would have thought I would do that. And I was like, well, how how did that start? And he said, man, some little bitty bad decisions. That's so true. You know, nobody wakes up and says, you know, I think I'm going to... um, rape a girl today. The guy who does that 10 years prior found himself looking at things online he shouldn't see. And that pornography addiction developed to the point where he's making a really bad decision that he never thought he would do because disobedience is a downward drift. And if we're not careful to hear God in the little things, And obey God in the little things and hear God in the big things and obey God in the big things. What we'll find soon is that we are on the downward drift of disobedience, going down, going down, going down. Disobedience is a downward drift. Another thing I want us to notice is that disobedience is available and it's costly. The crazy thing is Jonah flees from God. He goes down to the port to a to city of Joppa. And guess what? There's a boat waiting on him, ready to board. Right? Do you realize there's always an opportunity to disobey God? There will always be an open door for you to do something other than what God wants you to do. Jonah sees his opportunity. The Bible says he pays the fare. And this is the reality about our disobedience is it's costly. More than you know, in the moment of paying the fare to walk away from God, you're actually paying with a credit card that's going to charge you loads of interest in the future. Does that make sense? When we disobey God, there's an immediate cost. But the cost down the road is way more than you want to pay. Somebody said one time, sin um, costs you more than you want to pay. Leads you to a place you don't want to go. But let's see. Keeps you longer than you want to stay. And something else. I don't remember it. There's a fun little phrase, but I don't remember it. But you know the point. The point is this. Sin and disobedience is costly. And it's ready and waiting on you. Every time you want to turn away from God, there'll be plenty of opportunity for it. There's a ship ready for you. Jump on board and go as far as you want to go. But it'll cost you. That's disobedience. And that's how a rebellious heart says no to God. Another thing I noticed about Jonah is disobedience dulls your senses. Can anybody agree with that? That when you, when you get in a pattern of disobedience, when you decisively decide to be rebellious to God and do something uh, in, in opposition of what he's called us to do, our senses become dull. You, you're blind to see what's going on around you. Here's what we see in this story is everybody on the boat is in a panic. There's a massive storm coming up and these guys that are on the boat with him, verse 5 says they were afraid and they, each of them cried out to his God. Where's Jonah? He's down in the, in the, in the belly of that boat fast asleep. His senses are dull to what's going on around him. Um, he's asleep in the boat. Number two. So rebellious is a rebellious heart says no to God. And I want us to see something deeper here. Rebellion to God's word. Rebellion is actually a rejection of the Lord himself. So Jonah wasn't just rejecting a command that God had given him. It wasn't just rejecting um, God's word. He's actually, the Bible says, at least three times in this text, he's running away from the presence of the Lord. The presence of the Lord. Now, I I spent a little bit of time looking at this phrase. Do you see it in the text? I hope maybe you're you're underlining, but let's look at it. It's in verse 3. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish. From the presence of the Lord. And then look down at the end of that same verse. He went with them to Tarshish away from the presence of the Lord. And then after they cast lots and found out it was him in verse 10, they say, What have you done? For the men knew that he was fleeing, what does it say? From the presence of the Lord. Three times in this one little chapter, we're told that Jonah's disobedience is not just that he didn't like what God told him to do and decided to disobey. It's that he's rebelling from the presence of the Lord. So I I wanted to do a little digging into this because Jonah's a he's a theologian, man. He's a prophet. He knows better. The the reality is you, you can't get away from God. I don't know if you know that or not. You can run from God all you want, but you cannot get away from him. Psalm 139 says, it doesn't matter where I go, I can go to the depths of Sheol, but you are there. I could go, the psalmist writes, and he says, I can go wherever I can go, but I cannot get away from you. You are everywhere, and it speaks to the omnipresence of our God. He's inescapable. Do you know that? Even in your disobedience, God is inescapable. You can't get away from His presence. So I had to do a little digging because Jonah knows better. You know what I found? The Hebrew word here that's translated for us, presence, actually means face. My children have three precious girls, but every now and then they disobey. Every now and then my girls have a a rebellious heart that surfaces. And daddy says, hey, I want you to do this. And they say, no. Every now and then. In the moment that daddy comes for the girls, in the moments that I go for my children to bring them back to me, do you know what is very common? I have to say, hey, look me in the face. Because my children don't want to see my face in the midst of disobedience. And it's something about a nearness to God, a sense of his presence to look him in the face. And Jonah is fleeing from the face of God, from this nearness, this relationship. That's that's the beauty of fellowship. Jonah's like, I I don't I don't want to do that. And to me, it's worth saying no. So being away from your face, I I just I can't be near you. I don't even want to see you. Rebellion is not just refusing to do what he says, it's actually a rejection of him himself. I want us to know that God takes our disobedience seriously. It's not just to sweep it under the rug, it'll be okay. God takes it seriously. If you have your Bible, I want you to go with me to 1 Samuel chapter fifteen i 'll give you a little bit of backstory as we talk about this. King Saul is the first king of Israel, and he has done a pretty good job up to this point leading, but it 's at this point they 're waiting to um, take a, a a people and a land. They're waiting to conquer an, another land and another people and take captive. Um, and they're waiting on Samuel to come and to make a sacrifice to the Lord. This is what God had prescribed. I want you to make a worshipful sacrifice to me before you go into battle. And, and King Saul is ready to pounce. He's ready to do what he, what he wants to do. He's ready to go to war. And Samuel is not there yet. Samuel has not come. So King Saul says, you know what? i tell you what. I'll just do the, the, the sacrifice. We'll do it together. We'll, we'll kill the lamb and we'll do the sacrifice. We'll do our thing and then we'll go. We'll just go ahead and do it. Well, that's what he does. And you might think, well, that's a slight thing. I mean, he just didn't, he didn't wait on Samuel to come. He just did it himself. The Lord takes our disobedience seriously. I want us to see what Samuel says to Saul when he comes. I want you to look with me at verse 17 and we'll read all the way to verse 23. Samuel said, Though you are little in your own eyes, are you not the head of the tribes of Israel? The Lord anointed you king over Israel. And the Lord sent you on a mission. Do y'all see that? We might should underline that as it relates to Jonah. The Lord sent you on a mission and said, Go, devote to destruction the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they are consumed. Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? Why did you pounce on the spoil and do what was evil in the sight of the Lord? And Saul said to Samuel... I have obeyed the voice of the Lord. I have gone on on the mission on, on which the Lord sent me. I have brought Agag, the king of Amalek, and I have devoted the Amalekites to destruction. But the people, the, it was their fault, right? <clears throat> the people took the spoil, the sheep and the oxen, the best of the things devoted to destruction, to sacrifice. To the They took them, but they were going to give them as worship to God. <laughs> He's just rattling off excuses now. <clears throat> And Samuel says to him, verse 22, Has the Lord as great a delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to listen better than the fat of rams. Pause for a second. I want us to hear what what Saul has just done. He's taken matters into his own hands. He did what he thought was best. He kept the king, made him his captive. His people kept all the goods when they went to battle, even though the Lord had said, I want you to utterly destroy everything. They kept the stuff. They brought it back. And then Saul says, well, they only kept it to to give it back to God as an offering. And Samuel says, does the Lord want your sacrifices of disobedience? No, he wants your obedience. Listen to his voice and obey him. Now look at the next verse. I want you to see this. It says, for rebellion is as the sin of divination, which means witchcraft. And look at this word presumption. I really want us to hold on to that word because I think that's a big part of our problem. (laughs) Presumption is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, look at the punishment. He has also rejected you from being king. All right, go back to Jonah. Point I want to make here is this. God takes our disobedience seriously. And there are consequences. In Saul's life, this was the end, the beginning of the end of his kingdom. This was the, this was the turning point where God took his hand off of King Saul. King Saul presumed that he knew better. God had given command, but King Saul said, nah, I think we'll do it this way. And I would say to us, church, probably you are like me in that maybe when you hear a word from God, you probably don't go, no. You probably say, "Mm, let's try this. What we learn from King Saul is that God says those are the same thing. He says that presumption is idolatry. What the Lord is saying there is, "Who's God here? Am I God or are you God? When I say, "Do this," do you have the right to say, "No, we'll do that?" No. Our presumption... And our rebellion, the Lord says, is idolatry and witchcraft. That's how seriously he takes it. Rebellion is rejection from the Lord. So the takeaway here is that sin is no small thing. It's no small thing. Thirdly, rebellion brings the wrath of God. This is how God deals with sin. This is how God feels about sin. God brings His wrath. What I want us to know quickly is there's a difference between anger. This is obviously God is angry about sin. There's a difference between anger. It's a feeling that's deep within us and wrath. Wrath is how that feeling comes out in action. And our God takes action against sin. In this case, Jonah has disobeyed God And look what God does. Verse 4. But the Lord hurled a great wind. It wasn't just that God allowed a storm to happen. He wasn't passively just pulling his hand back. No. The Lord hurls a great storm onto the sea. It's an active form of God's wrath against sinful disobedience. God does not overlook Nineveh's evil. Remember what he said in the beginning? He says, for their evil has come up before me. So he's sending Jonah, the messenger, to call out against them. Their evil has come up before him. Jonah says, I'm not going. Now Jonah's evil has come up against God. And he's like, I tell you what, you, Jonah, God said go. Jonah said no. And God said, oh, <laughs> Really? There is a difference between wrath and discipline. And we have both painted here in this, in this portrait of Jonah. We have the pending wrath of God, which is Jonah's going to promise on the people of Nineveh. They're not God's people. And they're doing heinous acts of evil. And so God's wrath is about to be poured out on the city of Nineveh. And Jonah is being sent to tell him, Hey, God is not happy with you. His wrath is coming on you. That's Jonah's message. When we read it later, it's only it's only eight words, 40 days. And this city's going to be overthrown. That's his whole sermon. Not not really a great sermon. But it's a sermon about the wrath of God is coming. Now, when Jonah disobeys, it's not wrath because he's one of God's people. It's discipline. And Hebrews 12 teaches us that the Lord disciplines those whom he loves. He disciplines his children as a good father should. Right when children disobey, they need to be shaped and brought back into line. And Jonah is being disciplined here. But every time God is calling to him in discipline, he's ignoring his voice. God calls to Jonah through the captain of this ship. Did you see that? What are you doing, you sleeper? That's the voice of the Lord. And in case he didn't get it, the captain says cry out to your God. Isn't it amazing how God can use even a a, a polytheistic pagan to cry out to the prophet of God and say, would you just pray? Would you just pray? But as we read the whole chapter, everybody on the boat is praying except Jonah. Everyone's crying out to their multiple different gods, lowercase g, and none of them are helping. They're they're desperately, frantically throwing stuff overboard. We're doing everything we can. Jonah, would you cry out to God? Have you ever been in a place where you've been so far from God's face that you don't even want to pray? I have. And if we only knew that the rescuing mercy of God was just our knees away. Oh God. Imagine, had Jonah heeded the words of the captain in this moment. But he doesn't. They ask him later, What what must we do to you so that this sea may quiet down? And Jonah could have said... Shh, just let me talk to God. If I just talk to Him, if I just tell Him I'm sorry, we'll be able to turn this boat around, I'll go back, I'll do what He said. No, Jonah says, I don't want to be close to Him, just throw me in the sea, I'd rather die. This is how deep the downward drift of disobedience can take us. I'd rather die than be near to this God. I'd rather die than do what He said, just throw me over. The Lord is even merciful in that. I hope we see the mercy of our God in the storm. In the ship that was meant to be his escape. God sends a storm that's starting to break it up. These, the captain and the sailors are like, what, what did you do? Just cry out to your God. God is seeking him even through the, the, the pagans on board. And then they finally throw him over. Does God just leave him? No. God appoints a great fish to swallow up his rebellious child. This is the rescuing mercy of a loving God in the midst of the story about the rebellious heart of a reluctant prophet. So what we see here is that God's mission is to rescue and restore. His mission is to rescue and restore. God has sent Jonah to preach wrath and judgment to Nineveh, which God wants to rescue. God is merciful even to his enemies. Thank God, right? Amen? Thank God he's merciful even to his enemies. So he sends Jonah to be the rescue mission for Nineveh. But Jonah says, no, and he's rebellious. And so God is not only on a mission to rescue, he's now on a mission to restore. He's going to restore this child, this wayward prophet, by his mercy. Here's what we see about God. Number four, God pursues sinners with mercy. God pursues sinners with mercy. We ought to celebrate because that's our story. That's my story. God came after me, a sinner. And by His mercy, He redeemed me to Himself. He came on a rescue mission for me and for you. Jonah is God's rescue mission for Nineveh. That's the thing. God said, Jonah, I want you to go. I've got some people. Their evil has come up before me. But I want you to tell them. I want you to warn them of the judgment and wrath that's to come. Jonah is the rescue mission for Nineveh. Well, then the storm and the fish are God's merciful rescue of Jonah. The storms in our lives, if we are children of God, listen to me, if you belong to God through faith in His Son, Jesus Christ, The storms in your life are not meant to pay you back for your sin. They're meant to bring you back from your sin. Listen, the storms in your life as a child of God are not meant to pay you back. God did all that on Calvary. They're not meant to pay you back. They're meant to bring you back. The storm that Jonah endured was God's God's redemptive work. Come Come on back, Jonah. Come on. Could you just pray? throw him over and God sends this huge fish and it's a miracle. But that's the depths of how our God works with His mercy. I love that God can redeem you while using you to rescue the lost. Listen, God can redeem you while using you to rescue the lost. These men who threw Jonah over... They saw what he was too numb to see. His disobedience had dulled his senses to the point that he couldn't even see that the storm was God's mercy. He couldn't even see that all he needed to do is cry out to God. He couldn't see it, but they saw it. And what we see is these men who were crying out to all their various gods, by the end of it, they're crying out to Yahweh God. By the end of this narrative, what we see is they say, Oh Lord, all capital L-O-R-D. Let us not perish for this man's life. Lay not on us his innocent blood. For you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. They picked up Jonah. They threw him into the sea. Then the men feared the Lord, Yahweh, exceedingly. And look what happens. They offer a sacrifice to the Lord. They they stop and worship. And then it says, and then they made vows. It's amazing The sovereignty of God. What Jonah took as a disobedient detour was actually God's mission on a boat for some wayward sailors. God is sovereign even in your moments of rebellion to work and use you for His own glory. The crazy thing is God used painful discipline to bring some wayward sailors to faith in Him. As we look across the next um, few weeks, what we're going to see is two main ideas. And I want to present them to you now. This story is read traditionally in, in the Hebrew culture on the Day of Atonement. It's called Yom Kippur. And they gather together, all the people gather together and they read this, this, the book of Jonah It's a a public reciting of the book of Jonah. I want want us to do this. Are you ready? You're going to need to stand up. Okay. So just don't stand yet. Don't stand yet. But I want you to feel what this feels like. This is what happens. They read the book of Jonah. Someone stands before him and reads all four chapters. It only takes about 12 minutes, by the way. I timed it this week. They read all four chapters. And the whole assembly... Stands to their feet and says, I am Jonah. In unison. And that is a major theme of the book. I am Jonah. When I I read the history of this and discovered that, I just thought, wow, that's powerful. So I'd like for us to do it. I want us. We just read chapter one. But I would like for us. So just stand together and say aloud, I am Jonah. Will you do that with me? You stand? Ready? I am Jonah. Let's do that again. I am Jonah. Okay, you can be seated. That's a major theme of the book. We should look at this book, read this story, and see ourselves in it. We should see the truth that we are constantly rebelling against the commands of our God. And let me show you how subtle this is, because here's what I think. I think many of us probably look at the story, and we, we see how God says, "Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh, and, we're, and we think to ourselves, well, I haven't ever heard God tell me that, right? Here's the thing. A lot of us pray like this, Lord, if you'll just tell me what to do, if you'll just speak to me, I'll I'll do what you say. And that's a good prayer. I I don't want to speak against that. It's a good prayer. But what we miss is we're listening for a voice when God's already given us a verse. There's a lot of commands in this book that we are currently disobeyed. There's a lot of things God's already told us to do. And with our lives, we're saying, no, thank you. Let me hear something different. And so we need to stand together and just just confess to the Lord, I am Jonah. I don't want to be Jonah. But God, I find myself today, I'm Jonah. I'm a man with a rebellious heart. And I confess and repent of it. So there are similarities that we should see between ourselves and Jonah. And then there's a great contrast. And this is really the better picture. So give me three more minutes to tell you what we're going to see over the next four chapters is this. There's a beautiful contrast, a sharp contrast between how Jonah feels about the Ninevites and how God feels about them. Jonah wants them destroyed. God wants them forgiven. Jonah is actually a story that points us to a better prophet. Jonah's a rebellious prophet, but there's a better prophet, one who was sent by God and obeyed Him at every turn. He actually said, I only speak the words God tells me to speak. I only do the things God tells me to do. I don't do anything He doesn't tell me to do, but everything He tells me to do, I do it all. Of course, I'm talking about Jesus. Jonah points us to Jesus. The better, the more perfect prophet In Matthew chapter 12, Jesus makes this connection for us. I'm not making it up. He actually says that his death and resurrection would be the fulfillment of the sign given through Jonah. Jonah was in the belly of a fish three days, three nights. Jesus said, I'll be in the belly of the heart of the earth for three days and three nights. Jonah came out a reluctant prophet. I come out an obedient son of God. Jonah was sent with a message Jesus is the message of salvation. Jonah was sent to warn about God's wrath. Jesus came to absorb God's wrath. Jonah runs from God's presence and Jesus relies on God's presence. Jonah ran from his enemies. Jesus comes to us. Jonah was on a mission of hateful revenge. Jesus on a mission of loving rescue. Jonah was all about saving his own skin and Jesus came to sacrifice his own skin. So there's really two responses as we begin this book. There's two responses to what we've heard today. Number one, we see ourselves in the story of Jonah. But we're not just Jonah. We're actually Nineveh. Jesus came to rescue his enemies. And if you've been rescued by God, that you should know you were once his enemy. Now you're his child. Jesus came to rescue you and me. We are not only a rebellious prophet now, but we were an evil people then. We are Jonah, but we were Nineveh. So two things that should compel in us. One, worship first. And two, Loving obedience to go to the nations with the gospel. And the last thing I want to say to you today is you may be in the thick of the storm of your own disobedience. Don't let disobedience dull your senses to where you don't see the merciful hand of God. Let me be the captain on the ship in your life. Just pray. Pray. Call out to your God. He's nearer than you think. All the steps away from Him you could take are just one drop on your knees back. He's nearer than you know. And He is coming to you in His loving mercy.